folks. Today is Thursday, July 28th. Welcome to episode 163 of Simply Cyber's Daily Cyber Threat Brief. I'm your host, Dr. Gerald Dozier, and over the next 30 minutes, I'll be delivering the top cybersecurity news of the day and providing expert analysis on each of those stories on what it means to you as a practitioner or if you're looking to break in the industry, definitely going to have value for you here. Shout out and thanks to this stream sponsor right here, Barricade Cyber Solutions. Cyber criminals have stolen your company's data and derailed your business operations. Barricade Cyber Solutions will help you resolve this ransomware attack and get your business back on track. What does that mean? That means when bad stuff's happen, you'll have a, uh, a, a line to pull, a parachute to pull in order to get some assistance with people who have dealt with ransomware and dealt with really, really nasty um, incidents and helped businesses get back on track. I want to remind you, if you hold professional certifications like CISP, CISA, CISM, that require CPEs, many of them do, right? Many of them, you have to pay an annual maintenance fee, maintenance, and you have to do continuing education. Each episode of the Daily Cyber Threat Briefing, which is this, is worth half a CPE. So that's two and a half a week, 10 a month. It really, really adds up and stacks up. So make sure to document by saying what's up in chat or saying hi or saying where you're from or saying anything in chat so it's forensically burned into the stream and you'll get you know you basically have forensic evidence that you're there so be sure to document literally the easiest and most enjoyable way to earn cpes i would argue now if you are live i see 50 of us already in here on the simply cyber youtube Several others chiming in from other outlets like LinkedIn, Josh Mason's uh, stuff, Twitter, Twitch. I want to thank you for being here. I know 8 a.m. Eastern Standard uh, can be tough for many people, uh, including myself. I'm not uh, a morning person, uh, so, you know, but this is this is how we roll, people. Uh, I appreciate you being here. You definitely make the show uh, engaging, entertaining, and a good time. So I, I genuinely appreciate that. If you're watching on replay, definitely drop a comment in chat because you need to get credit for those CPEs. But if you're unsure what to say, drop hashtag team replay. Identify with the replay audience. You guys are legion and you come correct. So thank you, hashtag team replay for catching the, the, uh, the restream. Now, because if you are watching on replay, you have the benefit of time travel. So if you want to jump right to the news and skip the morning pleasantries, the, the couple slugs of coffee at the beginning, when this promo card starts turning into news stories, we're off and running. If you're listening to the audio podcast, just jump ahead about 90 seconds. That's roughly how long my pleasantries uh, it last. Uh, but other than that, I am super pumped to drop this, the intro script here, grab the coffee, and say good morning to the Simply Cyber community. Hey, Tamara on YouTube. John Cook's up in here. Carrie, a regular in the streams. Ms. Pamela, always great to see you. Hope everything's well. Hope that baseball tournament went great. Miss Kimberly, Miss Kimberly almost had the Cybersecurity Central shirt on today. Um, I reached in, thought I grabbed it, pulled this, just kept on moving. Oh, Lewis Dix, welcome to the Cyber Threat Brief. Cheers to you, my friend. Cheers to you. The live is great. The live is great. Okay, ta Team Replay. I've been Team Replay. I'm not always the one behind the mic here. Uh, but when I when I am, Team Replay uh, is good. Devnal Zen, see you at summer camp, man. Can't wait. 
Mm. How's my audios, everybody? How's my audios? Please let me know in chat. I'm also going to just goose the uh, the podcast really quick, just so if you guys don't hear it, we can sort that out while we're saying good morning. Cybersecurity headlines. All right, so I just played a brief snippet of the podcast. Let me know if you heard it. Richard Gitaru from the 254. What up? Good to see you, Steven. Present and accounted for. My man, I love it. Hey, Carrie, audio sounds good. Thank you for that mic check. All right. Yes, yes. Bring it. Bring it. You know, it's so funny, people. Check this out. Um, I'm so beyond. Like, I ripped my studio down, rebuilt it last weekend. Even yesterday, because I did the World of Haiku, which we will be talking about later in the stream, uh, we'll be raffling off a license key today also for World of Haiku, so be sure to stick there. Um, I, I've been streaming Red versus Blue. I've been streaming gameplay type stuff. I'm actually considering adding another YouTube channel called Simply Cyber Games, meaning like it's like a play on words like cyber games and simply cyber, right? Like I will only play cybersecurity games. This is how in love I am with our industry. And the game, the computer's been chunky, so I bought a new machine. This this is basically it right here. I don't know if you guys can see this, okay? You see this this rig right here? This This, you know resource jackal this monster right here uh this is what i bought <laughs> this is what i bought so uh, i'm just i'm the kind of person who's like okay let's let's eliminate things like let's 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 figure out what the problem is and start you know troubleshooting well if my computer is the choke point of my overall studio and situation it's not going to be the case anymore it's not going to be the case anymore so that'll be coming um you know, it takes like two weeks to build. So uh, right after Black Hat DEF CON, I will be coming with a screaming fast machine. I'll probably, I'll probably even talk faster. So we'll see everybody. It's going to have the, the fancy lights and stuff like that. Hey, George Strasburger, Jess Bishop. Jess, how's the new job going, Jess? You enjoying it? Is is cyber all that you thought it would be? Or did we lie to you and trick you and get you into the industry? And now it's too late. Let me know. Hey, Richard Agrin. Good to see you, Adrian Parker from Seattle. Love, love Seattle. Good morning, Elise. Irene's guys, we got a big day today. Yeah, yeah, the cyber threat briefing needs a battle station. All right, guys, let's, uh, we're coming up on 100 people in chat. I'm so happy you enjoy your job, Jess. I do love, uh, I do love our industry, guys. I absolutely love our industry. All right, y'all, sit back, relax. Let's get into the day's news and see what's happening. See what's, see what's shaking. It's Thursday, July 28th, 2022. Microsoft warns of sub-zero malware. The company's Threat Intelligence Center recently advised that it found multiple links to the private sector offensive actor DSIRF with a threat group it's tracked known as Knotweed. The threat intelligence firm RiskIQ linked DSIRF with the development of the sub-zero malware, which can be used to access a target's phone, computer, and IoT device. Microsoft further found that C2 servers for Sub-Zero linked directly back to DSIRF. The company observed Knotwood campaigns utilizing multiple zero days, including chaining to Windows Privilege Escalation with an Adobe Reader attack, leading to a Sub-Zero cybersecurity fatality on impacted systems. Knotwood targets include law firms, banks, and strategic consultancies in countries such as Austria, the United Kingdom, and Panama. Wow. Okay, so very interesting. First of all... Um... Can we just agree that any Mortal Kombat reference is awesome? Right? So 
way to go uh whoever came up with this like you know uh sub-zero malware that okay so let's let's you know have actually here so interesting piece of malware it's 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 uh exploiting zero days zero days mean that the vendor doesn't know about the vulnerability it's kind of popped there is no patch available right now that's what a zero day is um interesting this sounds more like kind of an espionage piece they did mention south america in here in the in the write-up central or central america entities using a malware but in the story they said that it's targeting austrian uk uh citizens sounds like it's also targeting uh mobile devices so i'm getting kind of you know pegasus vibes from this one this does not sound like commodity malware this sounds like purpose-built but done by a sophisticated actor um you know they're called not weed uh which is kind of weird i you know that doesn't really roll off the tongue i'm sure they'll get a cool logo but um dsirf so this almost sounds like this feels kind of like nso group ish where there's this threat actor group called Knotweed who actually sells or is infecting people but then this dsirf i don't even want to go here i don't even know what this is this dsirf is reporting um almost like they're they're a, 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 they're like a company that sells services right so kind of like nso group that's how it, it that's the vibe i'm getting here um, there's my computer again. Thank you, uh, tracking cookies. Um, okay, so the key takeaway here is there's not much you can do. It's a zero day. It it sounds like it's very sophisticated malware. It's targeting iOS and a couple other devices. Well, chances are that Carl and your general end user population will not be affected by this. These type of tools are typically not released into the wild, like a mainstream. No one's going to take this sub-zero malware and post it on github right so if you are dealing in financial services if you are dealing in uh with vips right like high-end political figures uh celebrities perhaps you may want to be mindful of this uh and i would you could dig in and say okay like are they using adobe readers or whatever the adobe app that has the zero day on their mobile devices maybe we pull that app off reduce the attack surface essentially uh, eliminating that risk but i you know i find it interesting that they even have like one thing i would dig into this story personally like just as a thought i would dig into this story to understand how they discovered the compromised devices having this sub-zero malware right it sounds like a very elegant piece that kind of runs quietly uh and infects devices using zero days so um yeah it, it's a it's a little curious how they uh, uncovered it initially just talk logs leak Last week, security researcher Anurag Sen discovered an exposed online database containing hundreds of gigabytes of log data for the messaging app JustTalk. The plain text logs contained phone numbers of the sender, the recipient, and the message itself, as well as any calls made. The logs also had granular location data showing large clusters of users in the U.S., U.K., India, Saudi Arabia, Thailand, and mainland China. The database was hosted by Huawei in China. Shodan results showed the server continually storing monthly chat logs. JustTalk still claims its app uses end-to-end -end encryption. This week, Send discovered an undated ransom note left on the database, indicating it was accessed by at least one malicious actor. Attempts to contact the company about the leak were unsuccessful. Okay, so this is interesting, okay? Um, you, you do see this from time to time. Um, and this really does call into question 
especially for you GRC folks, and there isn't much you can do about it, but this company just talk, right? It's like end to end conversation app. So think signal, telegram, whatever, just talk, WeChat, whatever. The important thing that I want to point out is that just talk and can you see this in the chat? Yeah. So just talk says, where is it? Just talk says it's messaging app end to end encryption. Only you and the person you communicate with can see, read, or listen. Even the Just Talk team won't access your data, exclamation point, right? This is a very bold claim. And you say something like this, obviously, for assurance to your client base that they have privacy, right? Immediately, there is a logging database with... Now, granted, it doesn't have the... the, the, the body of the message like hey Kimberly you know let's meet at 2 p.m hey Carrie let's attack at dawn like it doesn't have the body of the message but it has who spoke what their contact information is when they spoke right this is all you know interesting information you can use it you could harvest it and do social engineering you could do targeted like spear phishing you could um you know, I mean, you have a list of actual valid phone numbers. You could you could actually piece it together, maybe for extortion or blackmail. If you know two people are talking, right? Like maybe a um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like you're in a um affair, right? And you're using this app in order to communicate with your mistress or your your mister. I guess what what do they call the man? If it's a man, like a mistress is typically a woman who's like the you know is do they call it? Is that even have a term? Is there a mister? and a mistress. Um, anyways, I digress. The p- important point is vendors will tell you things, but you have no way to test the um, efficacy of their statements. You have to put assurance, right? And maybe you have contract terms in place. So that's really your only option. So I would encourage people, you know, when you are doing T's and C's, terms and conditions with third parties in your information security programs, uh, you're you're coupling with them. You're you're entering into contracts, terms of service. Make sure that you put uh, l- like legal language around um, the assurances that they're putting in place. And then the thing is, like, if they don't do that, you have that legal assurance to be able to sue them. Do you want to go down that route? Like, litigation costs time and money. So, I guess basically what I'm saying is, vendors don't always tell the truth, and you have to be mindful of that. Hosted, like they just throw in that this is hosted in a Huawei hosted server in China. Just, you know, just throwing that in there. All right. I do think it's funny too that it was publicly hosted, which is what led to the leak. So I just spent two minutes talking about the, um, how vendors lie about whatever, but the also the misconfiguration of a public data set that, you know, Carl or some, you know, somebody, uh, did not properly secure. So there's that's another whole problem. And normally I lose my mind about um, misconfigured publicly facing data sets. But I'm not feeling like uh, a lunatic. <laughs> I'm not feeling like a lunatic this morning, so I'm not going to lose my mind. But yet another example of a misconfigured public facing database. So add that one onto the fire or bookmark it for your... Um, I, I always like to bookmark these things. Just this is something you may or may not take if you want. I don't. It's up to you. But I always bookmark these things because when I'm putting slide decks together for security awareness training or for budget requests, it's really nice to have these tangible 
recent examples of um, it's basically security compromises. Like you're able to leverage the misfortune of others in order to have the same effect as if it was happening to you, right? We always joke that businesses invest so heavily after an incident, but they won't invest before. Well, if you can take advantage of some other organization that's been victimized, right? I mean, it sucks, but it's happened. So why not leverage it? You can spin it in such a way to get that same, it's not 100% exactly the same, but it's pretty close, it's like 85%. Get that same kind of like aha moment from the, from the you know, people holding the purse strings to be like, oh shit, we don't want that. Like, what's it gonna cost to fix that? Cost of an average data breach. According to a new report from IBM Security, the average cost of a data breach increased 2.6% on the year to an all-time record of $4.4 million in 2022. Since the start of 2020, the average data breach cost rose 13%. The report found that over 50% of organizations surveyed said they increased the cost of products and services to offset the cost of breaches. This cost isn't just based on immediate expenses of a breach, whether that's paying a ransom or containing the breach, but also accounts for longer-term expenses like regulatory fines and lost sales. 83% of respondents reported more than one breach. Right, okay, so a couple things here. First, something that really grinds my gears. You wanna know something that pisses me off, man? Um, let's see, where where is it? Where'd they say it? Um. Can you see that? So the average cost of a data breach went up to $4.4 million. Now, that's a large data set. There's like huge, huge, huge. Um, I, I'd almost want to see the, the, like the plot point on a, on a graph where the, the bottom of the graph is the cost of the breach and the, um, you know, the top is, or the bottom is like time and the top is, is money. Because I think, I think that there's going to be some outliers, right? So like the Ronin, you know, bridge Axie infinity thing, $500 million. Like there's a lot of like high, high end, but I mean, excuse me, there's a few high, high ends that are probably skewing this number. But even if you remove the outliers on this, the standard deviation, uh, I'm assuming this is standard deviation, $4.4 million is, is pretty close. Right. And a lot of people think of just the ransom payment, but as they pointed out in the story, you have to be mindful of downtime. Oftentimes, you have to bring in a service firm like Mandiant, like a Barricade Cyber Solutions, in order to even deal with the situation. You might have to stand up an alternative data processing, data, um, not data processing, an alternative operating environment. That costs money, guys. Things cost money. It's not as simple. Like I always deal with this when I'm doing like tabletop and you're like, okay, everything's gone to hell. Now what? Like the sysadmin's like, I restore from backups next. And it's like, no, like you have, this is way beyond store, restoring from backups. Like the computer you're restoring to is melted. Now what are you doing? Like you, you can't restore backups to the toaster in the break room, Kevin. Okay. We need a plan. Like what's the plan? What are we doing here? So it costs money. A lot of times people don't have that money. A lot of times, honestly, they'll actually have cybersecurity insurance that will help offset these costs. But what really bothers me, okay, hold on. I, this is really bothering me right now. Like I, my, I got to mirror my camera. There we go. What really bothers me, guys, is that the, inst okay, instead of, 
instead of, you know, investing more heavily in protecting the organization and having better secure controls in hiring a CISO in hiring security engineers, outsourcing MDR, not having misconfigured S3 buckets. Instead of doing that, they just increase the price of the service to offset the cost of the line item. So it's almost like they're, they're doing annual budgets and they're like, okay, so this is what our, you know, Microsoft subscription service cost. This is what, you know, CEO's golf membership cost. We should definitely put a line item for about four and a half million dollars for breach. Cause that'll happen. Okay. So now what do we got to sell the products for in order to do that? Oh, okay. So like, you know, last year we sold, you know, Joel Belton's ice creams were a dollar a scoop with the $4.4 million breach. Let's make it $2 a scoop. We good here? Yeah. Like executives high five and then they go play squash. Okay. That pisses me off. Like, like, I feel like I would be less angry if they took, if they increased the product price and then invested in securing the environment. But instead, it's just like they're taking fistful of dollars and jamming them into the the holes in the dam and then like smiling and nodding because it's not it's not leaking on them anymore. It's so short-sighted. I'm whatever. I'm going to go back and look at chat on this one. Yes, $500,000 bonuses don't the bonuses don't pay themselves. Money's got to come from somewhere. So anyways, that pisses me off about this story. Help defeat 2FA. No form of authentication or security is impervious, while encouraging the use of multi-factor authentication is undoubtedly an improvement over simple passwords, threat actors have been finding ways around these security measures. A new report from Recorded Future highlights how threat actors are increasingly using bots to automate the theft of one-time passwords. These bots typically operate through voice calls or SMS messages to potential victims requesting the input of an OTP. The report used an open source bypass bot and found they require little technical expertise or even language skills. This could allow threat actors to broaden their base of targets. Traditional methods of OTP bypassing, like SIM swapping, requires much more time and technical chops. Yeah, you know what? This is really interesting. Uh, two key things here. One, MFA is not impervious, guys. I always talk about MFA all the time. I think MFA is a fantastic control. I would consider a requirement. Like if you're running just username and password, then that's not enough, right? MFA has to be the standard. Now I get it. Sometimes you can't do it. It's an antiquated system or it doesn't, you know, it, you, can't, you can't do it all the time, right? But that doesn't mean where you can do it, you, you don't. Right. So I, I think MFA is important, but like any control, any control, threat actors will find a way. Okay. All you're doing is raising the bar for them to jump over. You're not building a wall that they run into. Okay. You're making it so different levels of sophisticated act, uh, different levels of threat actors will run into the MFA and be thwarted and they'll either move on to another target. They'll, you know, expose themselves because you as the victim will get a push saying, here's your one-time password and you, it'll indicate, oh crap, like my password has been compromised because I'm getting this OTP. But it's not a silver bullet, okay? And what I think is really cool, I think bots are cool, okay? I think bots are really cool. Like you can use, like chat bots are one that everybody is kind of familiar with. 
um, when you're going to a website and you can interface quickly. Sometimes it's a human, sometimes it's a chatbot and you don't really know, way to go, Alan Turing. But bots can be used for different things. And it sounds like this is one that I'm actually really interested in digging into. Let me know if anybody in chat has you know, worked with these bots, seen these bots, either in an academic setting or in a professional setting. Uh, around you know stealing these one-time passwords or or really bots doing anything kind of security related it's actually like I'm I my interest is peaked and I would like to know more um, it's very interesting so anyways long story short MFA is not invulnerable you may want to make your end users aware of this again this is a great little 30 second snackable piece of content for your end user community to make them aware why make them aware? Because much like security practitioners, once like getting on MFA has a little bit of a it's a little bit of a hurdle to get people on MFA. You're introducing friction into their workflow, right? Like so logging in is now an extra step. Oh God, this is so annoying. Why do I have to do this? Right? Once you get them on board, once you explain to them the value of it, everything like that, you you personalize it, right? We talked about that yesterday protect your bank accounts, protect your email. They can't reset your accounts for other stuff if they don't have your email. Well, once you get them on, you you need to make it so they don't think that it's absolutely a silver bullet, right? People in our industry feel that way. And we're professionals who work in this industry. So we know, but we, we should know better. End users, you know, they're not expected to know these things. So you know, you you do have to couch it or else you're going to shoot yourself in the foot if you tell them that MFA is being broken, they're just going to feel hopeless or whatever. But just, you know, I, I would almost spin it or make them aware that, hey, like, you know, you can get these um, unsolicited text messages. Same with phishing, guys. Smishing is really taking off as like the new phishing. I get I get these um, messages all the time on WhatsApp. I, I hate WhatsApp. I wish I didn't have it, but I need it for one particular group of people that I speak with. But I get all these messages from like, you know, it's like some beautiful woman uh, profile picture. And it's like, hey, you know, Todd, like left my golf clubs, like whatever. Like it's definitely like supposed to be a uh, wrong number, but who this kind of thing. Whatever. I mean, it's it's obviously working. People are responding to it and then getting getting pwned. Okay, let's listen in to CISO series pay their bills. And now thanks to this week's episode sponsor, Sneak. Developers want to code fast and security wants to ship securely. And that's why they both choose Sneak. Backed by industry-leading security intelligence, Sneak provides real-time scanning with automated fixes and remediation advice right from the tools and workflows developers use code, dependencies, containers, cloud infrastructure, all of it. And while developers are building securely, Sneak gives security teams a bird's eye view of all of their projects so they can prioritize and focus their efforts in the right places. Developer tested, security approved. Start your free Sneak account at sneak.co slash cybersecurity. All right, thanks to uh, CISO Series for <clears throat> being a partner with Simply Cyber. Whether they know it or not, I, I do. I have talked to the guy who owns CISO Series about doing the podcast the way that we do it, and he's totally on board. Uh, but I just, you know, I, I appreciate what they do. It makes it happen. Guys, real quick while we're saying thank you about stuff, I want to share with you World of Haiku. <clears throat> World of Haiku is a cybersecurity video game that is designed to be entertaining, but also teach 
uh, people, <clears throat> excuse me, basic um, kind of computer skills, cybersecurity skills. I've been playing it all week on stream <clears throat> in the afternoons. Basically, so far, we're like three quarters of the way through the game. And it's it's a lot of basic Linux uh, operating system um, commands, right? So navigating a uh, file system on a Linux base. And then we're starting to get into a little bit of pen testing, red team. We did some Nmap scanning yesterday. So it's a very cool, it's set in the near future. It's got that cyberpunk vibe to it. Um, if you don't know about it, uh, I'm telling you about it right now. And uh, I have been in contact with the CEO of World of Haiku, good guy, Eric. And he has donated World of Haiku license keys to Simply Cyber to raffle off. And we will be raffling off one right now. So if you're interested in playing World of Haiku on Steam and you want to win a license key, go ahead and type Haiku in chat right, right now. H-A-I-K-U. Haiku. We're like just like this. Can you see it in the in the chat at the top there? Not really. I'm covering it up with the brand. You'll see it. the The stream is going to start going. There's casually Joseph Joel Belton. Yeah, Haiku will enter you into the lucky Navina one yesterday. Joshua B two days ago. Gerald Wheatley on Tuesday. We've got some great people winning great prizes. Thank you to World of Haiku. To that point, if you're interested in hanging out with me and many members of the Simply Cyber community while we live Let's Play World of Haiku. I will be playing again on Friday at 4 p.m. I'm going to go ahead and hit notify, even though I'm the guy who's going to be playing it. Friday at 4 p.m. If you want to come join, just go to simplycyber.io slash streams. You could see the URL at the top of the, of the, of the live stream here at the very top. Go to that URL and you will see this play card, this promo card. Go ahead and just hit notify and you can join us at four o'clock. Like I said, we're about three quarters of the way through the game. I'm going to continue playing it until we beat it. Um, but there is new downloadable content coming out in September. But the idea for me is that we're going to beat it before Black Hat DEF CON um, and have a good time with that. I'm going to see if they got merch. I think a, I think a cyberpunk world of haiku shirt would be pretty cool. All right. Well, good luck to everybody on winning a license to world of haiku. Let's get back into the news. TikTok promises transparency for researchers. The company's COO, Vanessa Pappas, announced it will grant researchers access to its platform framework and moderation system. Researchers will access public and anonymized data for the purpose of assessing content and tests. This access will also be extended to experts on TikTok's advisory council. The company also said it plans to provide more transparency around its efforts to curb covert influence operations. These announcements come hours after Gizmodo reported that its parent company, ByteDance, used the news app TopBuzz to plant pro-China messages for American users. ByteDance denies these claims. Oh my God, this is like, <clears throat> you ever, you know, like in those, um, kind of futuristic dystopian movies where they have the like the mirage at the beginning that's purely exposition and it shows like the buildup of why society kind of collapsed and imploded on itself <laughs> like 
I feel like this is one of those, you know what I mean? Like, so TikTok CEO says, okay, we're going to be like doing more transparency, allowing security researchers access to data sets coming just an hour after Gizmodo releases a report about uh, China doing basically uh, information psyops or uh, influence campaigns through their news media outlets that they own. China obviously owning TikTok. Um, there's no doubt that word of that report was was disclosed to, you know, uh, ByteDance, I think it was, the, the parent company of TikTok, well in advance. Like, you don't release a report one hour. You don't release something of this magnitude and this well-orchestrated one hour after the Gizmodo story comes out unless you had, you know, well in advance awareness. Like, even, even like, a few days. It would still be aggressive, but, like, a few days in order to, like get your ducks in a row, figure out what you're going to do, and then have a response ready to execute if and when that report came out, which is exactly the playbook that they executed from right here. So we'll see. I will be interested from a data uh, perspective, what kind of information comes out. <laughs> I hate to be cynical, but... Um, you know, I hope that there's some some ability to independently verify the integrity of the data source, right? So TikTok's releasing this data. Security researchers will be able to pull from it. It's anonymized, but it'll allow for transparency. You can see what's going on. But if the data set is incomplete, right? If there's certain accounts that are, you know, identified as the misinformation accounts, right? Like say, you know, 100,000 bot accounts that can be weaponized for influence operations. And they are the filtered out of this data set, which wouldn't be impossible, right? You mean, you would hope that it would come out if that was the case. But I want to assume positive intent. I'll have to assume that the integrity of the data set, the source material is in fact com uh, complete. Uh, but anyways, I, I love seeing like what kind of research people come up with when they get raw data sets and they start doing interesting things. So stay tuned. I would not be surprised. I'm calling it now. What is it? July? I would say by like maybe September, September, October timeframe, depending on when this data set comes out and how people can actually pull from it. Some really interesting, splashy front page news reports uh, coming out about, uh, you know, something from, you know, this data set. So stay tuned. I think it's interesting. Good on TikTok. I mean, this is better than nothing. As far as I know, Facebook meta doesn't provide this type of information. They handle it, right? Meta handles it internally, right? They had that, um, you know, ethics committee that they disbanded. <laughs> um, that, that whistleblower spoke on 60 Minutes. So anyways, we'll see what happens. Rediscovering an old Eufy rootkit. Eufy. Security researchers at Kaspersky report that a unified extensible firmware interface or Eufy rootkit dubbed Cosmic Strand has been used in the wild since at least 2016. The researchers found the rootkit on Gigabyte and Asus motherboards, which sets hooks along the boot process of a PC to survive reinstalls of Windows or even replacing hard drives. We've seen Eufy root increasing in numbers of late. Cosmic Strand shows the approach may be older and more pervasive among threat actors. Researchers at Kwaihu 360 discovered a variant of the rootkit back in 2017. But Ars Technica reports most Western-based security firms, the C2 servers for the rootkit, have gone dark for long periods of time. 
likely why Kaspersky rediscovered it recently. Okay, so this is a little concerning, but I do want to uh, make people feel a little at ease if I can. Okay, so this is talking about rootkits in the UEFI firmware. So, uh, you know, real quick level setting for everybody. A rootkit is a piece of malware that installs kind of in the subsystem at a lower level. Um, it's not like an application running per, per se, like an executable um, that you can see. It kind of it kind of hides, right? It's 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 in the roots, if you will, and it can do different things. Um, you know, activate reach out, pull down malware, everything like that. And the, the idea is that it's very difficult to A, know it's there and B, remove it. This particular rootkit uh, hooks into the UEFI firmware, which if like, I'm not an expert on subsystem low-level firmware on computer architecture, but basically every computer has a BIOS. The BIOS is designed to boot up the machine and pull the master boot record uh, from the operating system or you know a grub loader or something like that in order to kick off and bootstrap the operating system, okay? UEFI firmware is kind of like BIOS. The BIOS kicks on and UEFI activates and there's some, some security features in there, right? If you have uh, data at rest encryption on the hard drive, UEFI gets involved with that. If you have like a, uh, like a bit locker type thing, like a, like a six digit pin you need to put, um, to enter like a, like a password to to then kick off the installation, um, the launching of the operating system. This is where UEFI kind of lives. By the way, in the story, you called it UFI. I have, I don't know. I'm curious, chat. I have never heard anyone call it UFI. It's always the acronym UEFI, UEFI. I've never heard anyone say UFI. So, you know, either I, I'm only telling you that because if you say UFI in a conversation, people might look at you weird. Uh, or if I say UEFI in on a live stream like this, you might look at me weird. I've never heard anyone call Yuffie, okay? Just say, just throwing that out there. Okay. Yeah, thank you, Justin Gold. I've never heard anyone say that. So so uh, the takeaway here is don't walk around and say Yuffie, okay? All right. Now, here's the interesting thing. They're saying that this uh, they found a rootkit uh, that was installed in 2016 kind of hiding they kind of play it up in the story that like there's root kits all over the place boot kits is kind of what they're referring to a special version of a root kit this could be possible um but you've got to remember if there is malware running on in the root kit i don't care what kind of malware it is even if it's a subsystem low level thing it's still if it's going to have any effect i'd have to think about this but if it's going to have any real effect it would need to communicate out and pull stuff down and send stuff out passwords data excel screenshots all that and yeah it might be in there since 2016 but the c2 infrastructure may have been torn down already right like like c2 infrastructure doesn't typically last six or seven years uh and people with um you know, firewalls and, and net logs, net flow, these type of things like can see traffic going out to weird sites and stuff like that. So I guess what I'm thinking is you can have this stuff in there, but I'm not sure, you know, long-term if, if it's super bad, you don't want it there. Okay. That's, that's for sure. You don't want it there, but you know, I'm not sure if it's like a silent listening post for six years, sending data out and, and reporting on someone. Because again, that where it's going typically gets destroyed 
um, or, you know, taken down or whatever. So anyways, long story short, root kits, boot kits, and it's pronounced UEFI. <laughs> GitHub adds NPM features. The Microsoft-owned code repository announced that its support for 2FA for NPM exited beta and is now generally available to all users. As part of this launch, GitHub announced a new NPM login and publishing system, allowing browser-based authentication with valid tokens retained on the same session for up to five minutes. This will prevent developers from having to enter a new one-time password on every action in NPM with 2FA enabled. The platform also added the ability to connect GitHub and Twitter accounts to NPM in the hopes that this will make it harder to impersonate creators of popular software. All right. No more ring. Well, <laughs> all right. This is cool. So NPM has been in the news a lot lately. Um, this is the one where one of the key developers, um, I think it was when the start of the Russian-Ukrainian conflict happened, uh, one of the developers like went went buck wild and, and made some changes to the, the node package manager and, and did some, I can't remember the story right now, but anyways, NPM has been in the news. NPM is used by many, 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 many developers. Um, I believe it's used for like web application stuff. So what they're saying in the story is that they've introduced um, basically a 2FA and they call it quality of life improvement, but basically you authenticate with your 2FA and then you get a five minute token. So, you know, while you're making commits and stuff like that, you don't have to keep authenticating, right? It's a quality of life. Again, we talk about, I said it earlier, 2FA adds friction. I don't care if you're an end user, Carl, or if you're a web dev, or if you're a cybersecurity person, it, you know, who, who here hasn't been challenged by 2FA at some point and been like, oh God, like, gotta eat my dog food. Like I, I understand why I have it and I'm going to put in this 2FA token, but Jesus, this, this is not, I don't want to do it right now. Okay. I'm like the most pro security person ever. And I, I've felt that before. Okay. So this quality of life, five minute token, that's good. That's great. That's wonderful. My immediate thought is, okay, so now threat actors are going to have this five minute window to steal that token and be able to do something, right? So, you know, like bots are going to, you know, we talked about the bot story a minute ago, like grab it, um, you know, uh, some type of info stealer, like redline info stealer sitting on someone's machine and looking to see if that token's there. Now it is temporal, right? You only have five minutes, but if you write malware that's looking and as soon as it's there, hits it and pushes it, you know, maybe you can do something automated like disable 2FA because you're authenticated as the victim. Um, you know, perhaps, I don't know, perhaps something else. But long story short, while this is a quality of life improvement, my mind immediately goes towards how a threat actor could exploit this, which, which is unlike me. Typically, uh, I don't think of the attacker side of things, but uh, this one is where my mind goes immediately. So be interesting. If you do web dev stuff, uh, if, if you have web dev folks in your world who use GitHub, you know, you might want to tell them about this. I mean, it is, it is multi-factor authentication. It is a more secure feature while having quality of life improvements, right? You don't have to authenticate repeatedly, right? So you get the benefit. We get the benefit of 2FA, right? A, a higher hurdle for threat actors to jump over and our developers get the benefit of not having to authenticate over and over again because they get this five minute session token. So pretty cool. Ransom helps millions. As part of its six year anniversary, the No More Ransom Initiative reports that it's helped over 1.5 million people decrypt devices. 
This support spans over 37 languages, with the initiative now partnering with 188 organizations, offering 136 decryption tools to help deal with 165 ransomware families. Back in 2016, the initiative started with partners Kaspersky, the National High-Tech Crime Unit for the Dutch National Police, and Europol's European Cybercrime Center. The initiative also posts technical documentation to help organizations detect ransomware, as well as publishing general guidelines to shore up defenses. All right, you know what? Hat tip to Kaspersky. They get pretty much a bum rap because they're, I believe, a Russian-based um, antivirus, anti-malware uh, solution provider. And a couple years ago, there was some question about it. I think it was around 2016 during the election and um, concerns of meddling in the election. Anyways, long story short, the U.S. federal government put a a ban, if you will, or an embargo uh, on Kaspersky software, basically canceled it across all the contracts in the federal government, uninstalled it from everywhere, financially kind of hurt Kaspersky. Um, so, you know, it's good to see Kaspersky doing some good and getting some good pub. Way to go, Dutch National Police. I wouldn't have... Uh, I wouldn't have, they wouldn't have come first to mind, but um, the No More Ransom Initiative, kind of a cool concept, helping individuals who are victimized by ransomware decrypt their devices. I would say that my my thoughts on this one is this is they're probably helping individuals who have no hope of decrypting their devices. This is not an initiative that helps an organization that got ransomware yesterday and is actively trying to recover into a known good state, right? The average ransom, at least two years ago, the average ransomware incident lasted 5.6 days as far as the impact to the organization. And that includes uh, orgs that actually pay the ransom right away trying to recover. It still takes almost a week of downtime and impact. Um, so that's another thing you should definitely account for when you're doing your tabletop exercises. Uh, 1.5 million people, you know, that sounds like a lot. Right. If I had one point, if I had a, uh, if I had a dollar for each of these people, that would be awesome. But if you think about how many organizations are victimized and how many individuals are victimized, I mean, it's way higher than 1.5 million. So you know, I appreciate this initiative. It's good to know. It's good to share. Um, I'm not quite sure how they're helping people decrypt their devices if they have keys. Um, I know some individuals have released decryptors for certain strains of ransomware, uh, but you know, whatever. I, I feel like this is trying to hold back a tsunami with a napkin, right? Like, you know, you're doing some good, but it's just overwhelming. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's not as material, but if you are one of those 1.5 million individuals, you're, you're damn happy that, <laughs> that the Dutch national police and Kaspersky are doing this. So let's, uh, I think that's the stories. Cybersecurity boils down to securing your data. Cybersecurity does boil down to securing your data, but it's much more than that. CISO series. It's, uh, actually ensuring business operations and resiliency, but we're not going to, we're not going to mince hairs on my definition of cybersecurity. Let me throw some music on. All right, we got some soft background music, guys. That's the news stories for today. We're going to do the Haiku license raffle draw in one second. I want to remind everybody, if you are around later today at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I will be welcoming Chris Rock. Not slap you in the mouth, Chris Rock. Chris Rock, the Australian CEO and founder of Sim Monster, DEFCON speaker, 
and a genuinely great individual who contributes well to the cybersecurity industry. This dude is awesome. I'm super pumped. This is going to be a fireside style chat, meaning we could take the conversation anywhere. We will be engaging with all of you in chat. I'm telling you, this guy is nails. You're going to love it. Come by 4.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Bring popcorn. Get a comfy chair. You know, throw on sweats if you can, if you're not like, you know, in the nine to five time frame and you're working. If you are, uh, block your calendar out and be like, I'm not available after 4.30. Um, this dude's going to be cool. I'm wicked looking forward to this, um, to this thing, to this talk. Okay, let's do the world of haiku drawing. Good luck to everybody. Hold on. We got to have the cool, the cool graphics. Yeah. All right. Good luck to everybody on World of Haiku. Like I mentioned before, brand new cybersecurity nature set game designed to help individuals learn basic Linux skills and some introductory pen testing skills. It's going to be a good time. I'm live streaming it on Friday, this Friday at 4 p.m. as we continue to play. It's all about good times. Good luck to everybody. Here we go. Drum roll, please. And the winner is... Shane Himes. Way to go, Shane Himes. Shane Himes, connect with me in Discord, simplycyber.io slash Discord to get your license key. Shane, you're the winner now, my man. I do love it here. A couple Mario coins for you. Good stuff. All right, let's do this. That's going to do it for today's stream, y'all. I will uh, give a couple minutes uh, just for kind of post-show banter, if you will. If you have to boogie to go to your next meeting or you're just here for the news, genuinely appreciate you taking the time to be here. Thank you. I hope you have a wonderful day executing cyber operations or getting into the industry. Let's see. Computer Geek, yeah, Haiku is fun, man. It's a cool game, really entertaining. Like I said, if you're on the fence, come by tomorrow at 4 p.m. as we will be replaying. Gerald, you spelled Joel wrong. I'm not sure where I wrote Joel, but... Mm. Somebody, oh man, the stream just flew by. Somebody was having their second interview. Who is it? Jessica Probst, second interview for my first cybersecurity job. Let's pull this up on stream. Good luck, Jessica, member of the Simply Cyber community. Seen you in chat a bunch recently on the Discord. Nice, nice. Good luck with you. All the best. I hope they ask you how you get your, how do you stay current? Uh, Jessica, you may want to also remember, it's potential that they ask you about a current story, not just how do you stay current, but okay, like you stay current. Tell me about a current story and maybe what you would have done differently in order to protect it, right? Maybe, maybe you talk about Just Talk and how they just had a public, uh, you know, public uh, file share open to the internet without a password for months and how it got stolen. Maybe you talk about actually configuring public shares not to be accessible by anyone, anyone without credentials. Maybe you talk about if, you want, if it's a GRC job, maybe you say, hey, yeah, you know, Maybe we put uh, language in our contracts saying that if they are lying to us, we can sue the crap out of them, right? Couple couple angles to go there, Jessica. But, you know, be mindful, be ready for that. Um, will Reed, 
Good to see you, Will. Always nice. Jay Smith, what's up? OSHA inspection at the plant today. Woo! Careful, careful. Are you planning to make dream about NIST? Yes. So, hey, here's a fun fact, guys. If you are interested, I've kind of teased this in Discord, but if you're not in there, if you're not watching with any regularity, this is simplycyber.io, right? So if you just go to my base website, simplycyber.io, this is the website. Um, we have the GRC Analyst Masterclass right here. I'm really, really happy to announce that I have three new modules dropping likely right after Black Hat DEF CON. One is a SOC 2 module. What is it? Everything like that. Presented by Erica McDuffie, expert on the topic. One is NIST Cybersecurity Framework, presented by Two Thumbs and Smiles, this guy. And the third one is CMMC, presented by Jacob Horn, an expert on CMMC. I'm going to be adding that. I, I've been waiting because I want to add all three at once um, to make it kind of splashy and fun for everyone. But I will be adding more content, as I said I would, to the GRC Analyst Masterclass. If you have access to the class, it is forever access until I can't pay the <laughs> until I can't pay the annual bill to host the platform. <clears throat> but I do own all the source material, so uh, no matter what, that content will always be available to everybody. If you're interested, hit exclamation point GRC, and you will get. Um, information from Nightbot on where to get that GRC course, or obviously you can go to simplycyber.io. All right, uh, everybody, thanks for being part of the community. Thanks for engaging on Discord. I also want to appreciate, I, I see the Discord chat, you know, you guys very supportive. I appreciate you helping people out when they ask questions and giving them resources, making our field inclusive and something really to enjoy being part of. So I really, really appreciate that. That's going to do it for me, y'all. I'm going to go finish this coffee and get grinding on the work. I'll see many of you, hopefully, at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Standard later today as we welcome Chris Rock onto the stream. Take care, everybody. Thank you.